This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And as I was sharing with my guest earlier today when we were just chatting, this is actually the last program that we are recording in 2018. But as you know, you're going to be listening to this in 2019. But, you know, it's, it is so much fun. I love what I do. I get to talk to some of the coolest people. And as we said, we saved the best guest for last this year. And so please join me in welcoming Todd Palmer to our program today. Welcome, Todd. Deb, thank you so much for having me. No pressure as last guest. I'll do my very best. Oh, you know, it's going to be so much fun. And, and it was fun as I was reading through your materials. I thought, yeah, Todd's a great one to, to do this because we're going to have so much fun. But, you know, as I mentioned, the program will actually air in 2019. And I think it's going to have so many great topics for people who are thinking, it's the start of a year, what do we do? You know, we're not talking New Year's resolutions because people never keep those anyway. But what we're going to be talking about is how to be a great leader, how to really have, you know, the, the skills to, to take your team, whether it's a department, whether it's your company, whether it's maybe a nonprofit that you're leading, all these various things, how to be that person that takes them to the next level. So I'm really looking forward to this. Sounds good. Let's, let's talk about leadership in 2019. Perfect. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you. So Todd Palmer is a renowned thought leader, CEO, executive coach, and author who is committed to improving lives. As a successful entrepreneur and business owner, he works with both individuals and companies to support corporate go- growth, foster business startups, and guide leaders in the areas of talent management, workforce planning, and organizational development. As the CEO of a six-time Inc. 5000 company, Todd knows the struggles that businesses face around the areas of people, cash, strategy, and execution. Through his firm, Extraordinary Advisors, Todd is able to guide leaders into programs of sustained profitability. So again, Todd, welcome. Dad, thank you so much. It's really, I'm excited to be here. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day here in Detroit, Michigan. It's not as comfortable as it is where you are, but it's, uh, it's a gorgeous uh, 34 degrees, but it's balmy, it's brisk, and uh, I'm feeling energized and I, I'm ready to get into it with you. It's, this is going to be perfect. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Tell us how you got where you are today. Well, gosh, that's, that's an interesting question. I love the open-endedness of it. You know, where I'm at right now in my, in my life is I, I own my company. The, the company is on the A5000 six times, mm-hmm. diversified industrial staffing, and I'm certainly passionate about recruiting in the human capital side of business. I'm also spending a great deal of my time uh, with my other company, Extraordinary Advisors, helping co- and coach leaders and leadership teams through some of the biggest challenges they face around cash strategy, execution, and people. And I always start with the mindset work because that is the most fascinating to me because we can certainly lay out a great strategy for cash mm-hmm. or a great execution plan for marketing. But if the mindset of the leadership team, the mindset of the CEO, the mindset of the entrepreneur is compromised or, or out of alignment, none of those other things work. So I spent most of 2018 really digging into the mindset and helping some companies go from you know struggling to, to thriving. I've got one client who's added almost 20 points to his margin. I mean, so, but it's all working with the mindset. Then it pivots into those other categories. Right. Well, one of the things that struck me when I was, you know, reading about you and and about your businesses and the fact that you are on that, you know, as we mentioned, the six-time Inc. 5000 company, you have a staffing firm in Detroit. And we've all heard the horror stories, basically, that are coming out of Detroit about the issues that, that, that they are facing up there. And you have still managed to be a very successful organization. And I'm assuming that is because of what you mentioned, mindset. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, the great thing about being in Detroit in 2018, 2019 
is we're America's comeback city. That right. is just something for, for all Michiganders and specifically all of us who live in the Metro Detroit area to be extremely proud of mm-hmm. and to have a lot of pride around it because you really dig deeper into that success. It's not because of the autos. It's not because of big business, but it's because of the entrepreneurs in our community, mm-hmm. starting with a guy named Dan Gilbert from Quicken Loan, who has literally brought almost 20,000 jobs to Detroit in less than wow. five years. White collar jobs. You don't mm-hmm. think of Detroit as, as a tech hub or as a mm-hmm. white collar hub. So you, you couple that with you know, where our mindset was back in the recession and during the bankruptcy, it's very, very different. Uh, for me, you know, I can tell you my mindset in 2005 to in 2006 was just abysmal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very much wrapped up in, in, in imposter syndrome. I'm not sure uh, you know, how many of your leaders listening today have heard of imposter syndrome and have dealt with it, but it's really where you feel as the leader of the organization that you have to have all the answers all the time mm-hmm. and ask for help makes you weak, not strong. In different, there's different variances of that, but that's what I went through in 2006. And actually what I did is I hired a coach mm-hmm. and yet that coach helped really shake up my mindset around those areas. And we were able to, to make some huge strides and changes. And one of the biggest things, especially in the Detroit market was, was to, to look for areas where there's increased demand and diminished supply in tough times. Mm-hmm. We made the Inc. 5000 during the recession. Businesses weren't growing. And we were in a sector, Michigan, we're in a, a subspace to Michigan of the skilled trade sector where we were able to really figure out and crack the code of, of finding hard to find skilled trades talent in an area where there's shortage mm-hmm. so that we were able to extremely help, help these people get jobs they wanted, help companies find that hard to find talent and take care of the people who work inside the company. So it was a real win-win-win mm-hmm. triangle scenario, but it really, until I shifted my mindset as a leader, it, nothing was going to change. Right. You know, and the whole mindset in Detroit was just fairly negative. You know, they, they, they were, you know, in severe financial difficulty, all of these things. And to, to be able to find employees, get them great positions that they knew were going to last longer than, you know, say two weeks, that must have been just so gratifying to you. Well, it really is. It's, it's a very, very rewarding opportunity as a recruiting firm to be able to help people. And a lot of, you know, we really, we really try to explain this, especially to our new employees we have, but also to our clients. You know, we, we work for the clients for a fee. Mm-hmm. But we, and we work for the candidates for free. But really, we are a candidate-centric company, right. especially in times where there's an increased demand and a diminished supply. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is working a job, it's very, they're, they're secure. And to be able to work with them and move them from a secure position to a new position is a whole arc, again, around mindset, around right. dealing with fears, around dealing with concerns, and, and the struggles of of. The, the young lady or the young man trying to make that change, or even the, the older person trying to make mm-hmm. that change, change is complicated for folks. And then to sell that to their family and then to go into their boss and say, I'm leaving. I've been here for 10 years. I'm leaving mm-hmm. and deal with the counter offer and deal with all that mental and, and, and emotional anguish that that can create sometimes is very difficult. Mm-hmm. So when we're able to get someone from one company to the other, it can be a complicated journey, but a very rewarding one. If you take somebody, for example, who's not able to, to do things because they're working with their family, because they're working on a second shift, mm-hmm. we're able to get them to a first shift opportunity, even for the same money. People right. often think, um, you know, employees only leave for money. No, they leave for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Shift is important. You know, people quit a job, not for money, but because they don't like their employer or mm-hmm. they don't like their boss. So all those sub things come into play. And when we're able to move people from uh, a, 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 actually a sense of, uh, of, of less than to an area of abundance uh, and impact a family, that, that's a very rewarding opportunity as, as a recruiter to have. Right. You know, and, and it, it must be, as, as I said, you know, and, and as you said also, so gratifying because, you know, it, it is about more than the money. Um, you know, we all, we, I scoff anymore when I say, you know, the work-life balance. There, no, there's no balance. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking about our home when we're working. We're thinking about um, work when we're home, you know, all those various things. But what that means is there's more opportunities. You know, as you said, you know, it might just be changing shifts for somebody, you know, or maybe not working weekends, same pay, same benefits, all those various things. But it's a better balance for them to, to you know, be able to be with their families. 
it's really difficult to have work-life balance. I, you know, I've known a lot of entre- entrepreneurs, uh, some of the most successful in America, some of the most successful in the Northern Hemisphere, um, and I've never found anybody figured out. But I did the, the, a phrase I've heard recently that seems to make a lot more sense is work-life integration. Right. Because wherever you wherever you're at work, your family's still with you. Mm-hmm. And when you're with your family, work is still with you. Whether mm-hmm. you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an executive, or whether you're you're an employee, it's always there. So how do we integrate that and with the, the ability now to, to work remotely, with all the technology tools that are available that weren't available 23 years ago when I started my company, for mm-hmm. example, it's, you're able to create that integration so much more seamlessly mm-hmm. than you could even five years ago. Right. Well, and then we have the millennials. You know, we're not going to knock millennials. This is, this is a good comment about millennials who want things entirely differently than my generation did. Um, you know, they, they definitely want to be, uh, you know, it, my generation in many ways was, okay, we need the pay, we need the benefits, all these various things. And millennials really want to be able to say, you know what, I want to work from home on Friday, or I'm not going to work that night shift, or, you know, or hey, I want to work the night shift because I'm going to make more money. Uh, you know, and, and so it's got to be fun dealing with all the different generations that, that you're now dealing with. Well, we, it, that's a great point because now the millennials have really figured it out that they're willing to trade money mm-hmm. for freedom and flexibility. Right. That they're willing to do that. The, the older workers now are, are being influenced by them. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a, thinking, we'll have wait a, a minute, we can ask for that too? Exactly. And especially when you, you take a look at a family, you've got the, the younger employee who's got their first job out of college, mm-hmm. or the first job out of high school, and they're saying to their parents, hey, do you want to come by and see the grandkids this weekend? Mm-hmm. Dad, well, dad's the old welder. He's you know, been working, he's been welding for 40 years. Hey, I, I got to work on Saturday. And the young people are challenging them to say, no, you're choosing to work on Saturday. Right. You could, you're, you know, your, your, your grandkids only going to have a, uh, you know, it's his, his or her first Christmas or his or her, you know, whatever they're going to spin it off of. But then they're making a whole lot more sense to that older generation. So now, like I'm working with a guy right now, great machinist. He's about in his early fifties. He goes, I'm, I'm not working weekends anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just not, I got a job. Right. I don't need I don't need another job. I mean, I want to change for these other things. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, I am not working weekends. So just please tell everybody that you market me to weekends are off limits. Please don't bring it up. It's just it's non negotiable. Mm-hmm. What I am willing to do is I am willing to work five tens. So mm-hmm. I'll work ten. I'll work fifty hours, right. but it's Monday through Friday, and mm-hmm. it ties into the whole psychology. Go back to the mindset portion of it. Is to yes, no, yes, yes. I'm saying yes to my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying no to working on Saturdays, but I will say yes to the 50 hours right. under these under these guidelines. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a different way of looking at the world. I mean, if you take a look at it, you've got the, the baby boomers going out in droves. The country's at full employment. It's at its lowest labor participation number in over 45 years. And you've got the highest unemployment category across all age groups is the, is the uh, millennials. They're at a 13% unemployment number. Right. So all those areas have to work together so that we can create a GDP in this country. Right. You know, and it is a challenge for the employers to, to meld you know, what everybody wants. And, and it's got to be especially a challenge for someone like in an industrial organization where you have equipment that is running 24-7 or, you know, and so it is, you know, you can't have some people that are working this and some people that are working that, but there are ways to be able to make things work. Well, and it's a challenge, I think, too, because in so many different sectors, whether it's, again, marketing or PR or, or other white-collar areas, you can work remotely and be very productive. Mm-hmm. If you've got a, a physical facility where you're manufacturing a product on a piece of CNC equipment, that, that employee doesn't have that flexibility that maybe the, the person who does IT support for that manufacturer mm-hmm. has to work from home. So right. it can be very complicated from a, from a politics standpoint within the organization as well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because you, you have the people going, well, wait a minute, he just got Friday off. And people do talk. I think you know, that's the, the thing that uh, sometimes employers forget is, you know, my employees are going to talk to each other and they're going to figure out that you got this and you didn't get this. Um, but it, it does make challenges, um, you know, and, and but one of the things that you really like to talk to people about is people first leadership, which is exactly what we're talking about here. So, but tell us more about that. What is people first leadership? Well, it, for me, people first leadership really starts at the top of every organization. 
So the, the CEO is a person and mm-hmm. typically they're, fa- you know, they typically they have a family or they've had mm-hmm. a family and then they've got their leadership team and they're all saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm a business person. I'm focused on the numbers and I'm data driven. And that's great. I, I believe in data driven decisions. Right. The reality is no leader ever gets anywhere by themselves. Mm-hmm. They always need a, a team, a tribe to help them. Mm-hmm. So we help companies f- figure out through our, our extraordinary advisors program, you know, who are the right people to have on your team and who are the wrong people to have on your team. When you think of, think of people first, you know, leadership, you may have people on your team who are good people, but not good employees. Right. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? People say, well, I just, I've got a client right now. I just can't fire this person. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is, as soon as you think they should be fired, the chances are they're already basically walking dead in your office. They're, right. they're, they're, they're out the door. There's something that's there. Mm-hmm. Something's not going to happen. So we, we take it through a whole process on how to terminate with care and compassion mm-hmm. to free someone up to go do something somewhere else, to go work elsewhere that might be more beneficial for them. That's right. one part of what we do. And the other part for, for, people, for the People First Leadership process is to, to understand that you, you, there, you, you may have 10 requirements for a job. That you, you know, every, every employer thinks, I've got to have these 10 pieces. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've got a great human being and they've got five of those peaches, pieces, but they're coachable and they're trainable, why not hire for, res- hire for DNA and not for resume right. and get people on the bus, teach them the, your organic way of doing things, mm-hmm. teach them the way you think you, the company can be successful with their help versus, well, hey, this person just didn't check all 10 boxes. I'm just going to keep looking until I find them. Because in today's full employment works, work environment, that, that's nearly impossible. Right. Well, it, it's funny. When I do LinkedIn training for people, I talk about the fact that, you know, when people are applying for jobs, they look at those 10 things. And a woman, and, you know, obviously we're going to, to, to uh, you know, generalize here, but a woman will go, I can do nine of those really, really well. The 10th one, uh, so I'm just not going to apply. Mm. And a man a lot of times will go, okay, I can do five of those. Three of these I can outsource, and the other two, eh, probably not that important anyway. Um, but it, it, what what's important is, as you said, it's the flexibility. It's figuring out, okay, did you really have to have those 10 things, whether it's from the employee or the employer standpoint, sure. and how do we work with those? You know, maybe this person over here really is the person who should be doing it. You know, all of those various things. Right. And the end of the day, the stuff has got to get done. So one of the things I, 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 I did this whole presentation um, for, for entrepreneurs who need to, who have hiring struggles mm-hmm. and, and I, I really help them reframe their mindset around the word work. Right. Because if you really just need the work to get done, you don't always need an employee on your mm-hmm. payroll to do it. Right. You can freelance it. You can outsource it. Mm-hmm. You, can, you know, in a gig economy like we have today, there are a lot of professionals that will do it. I mean, I, I ran in this one company that will literally bill you by the second. So oh. if a job takes seven minutes, you only pay for seven minutes. Wow. So it's just those crazy different ways that, you know, the, the, the technologies have opened up, I mean, how many more billions of minds for us to access? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, I've got, I've got I've worked with virtual assistants in, in Australia, mm-hmm. in the Philippines, in India, uh, all across the globe, I'm working with a person right now out of Phoenix, Arizona. I'm in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I need the best person. I need the best ideas. But I may not need that person because it's a project forever. Right. Or if I can take and optimize and outsource and automate some of the processes that a human being used to do that I can now do with technology, mm-hmm. it's good. it goes a whole lot better. And the people who are you know, doing those repetitive tasks never really liked them anyways. Right. So let's, let's free them up to go do something they're going to enjoy, and let's get a te- piece of technology to, to handle that for us. Mm-hmm. Th- that's an interesting thought, and I want to go a little bit further with this. The people that are afraid that technology is going to take their job, mm-hmm. and you know, granted, that is happening, obviously, you know, but it's, it's always happened you know, for people that, you know, you know, those who used to pound rocks you know, and, and make things that way. Something came along and, and, you know, got rid of that. And, you know, and, and then there was this thing called the Industrial Revolution and, you know, all of these various things. So it's about, you know, it's, it's not about losing your job. It's about, as you said, figuring other ways that, that you can do that. But what do you do when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I'm, I'm, technology is just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take my job. I'm just totally afraid. What do I do? 
Well, first of all, I try to get them to uncouple what they're afraid of. Okay. So, so what are you currently doing? Why do you think technology is going to take your job? Mm-hmm. What, what's, what transitional and transferable skill sets do you have to this new way your job is being done? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can get very paralyzing. People get very afraid of the unknown. They get very afraid of change. Right. And I do understand that, that that happens. The people who who we work with, you know, who are struggling because they're afraid their job's going to be be outsourced or automated, um, struggle not only, I think, with a sense of their, their definition of their value they add in the workplace, but I think the value they have outside of the workplace, right. their value as a human being. Mm-hmm. So really, it's trying to get them to figure out what can they do well, what are their transferable skill sets. If you're currently working with your hands, how, what can you do to work with your mind mm-hmm. um, and, and move them through that? I remember we used to have a lot of manual machinists. Mm-hmm. They learned to become CNC, computer, computer numerically controlled machinists. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the mindset was similar, but it was so much easier on the body. But then right. they had to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It gets a little complicated, so you've really got to create a safe space for mm-hmm. that employee, create that opportunity for them to become reflective. And sometimes when we look inside of ourselves, yeah, we get, we get afraid. We don't like what we see. Mm-hmm. So how do we, we process that, and how do we move through it? And, and I teach this, uh, this process uh, for, through, uh, called Failing Forward into Success, and it's a four-step piece where essentially it's... It's a praise, reappraise methodology mm-hmm. where you take a look at where you are versus where you want to be and how can you get there. So I do a lot of that with, with folks, even with leaders who are like, I'm in, a, I'm in a dying industry. How do I get out of a dying industry into a growth industry mm-hmm. when you know, I'm the, the least computer literate person in my office? Right. So it, it happens at all levels, Deb. Well, and... You know, the, the trick is to recognize that, that things are changing. Um, you know, hello, Sears, Blockbuster, you know, all of those various companies who, in essence, thought they were too big, too good, too, too whatever. And technology, you know, whatever it was, went past them, you know. And, and I, you know, I laugh about taxi cabs who thought Uber, what's Uber? Nah, yeah. we don't care about Uber. You know, and, and it is about what can you do to, to change your business model to move forward. And as you mentioned, you do this program called Failing Forward into Success. And, and another I saw on your website, it was kind of the same concept, fail through bad decisions. Sure. So how do you work with people on that? Because, you know, first of all, <clears throat> I'm the CEO. I don't make mistakes. Um, you know, or the people who, yeah, who don't want to admit that, that they have failed or that they're on the, the borderline of that, or they're just absolutely terrified that they're going to fail. Well, I, I'd say any CEO who, who's a little bit, uh, a little bit full of themselves. I always just tell them the dumb things I did. First of all, here's, here's a list of a hundred dumb things I've done. Right. Um, and I always say, you know, and you, you survive know, them. And I bear, and I, some days I barely survive mm-hmm. them. It's like a bad Indiana Jones, uh, right. run through the jungle. I'm dart, dodging darts shooting over at me. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is most of the times I shot them at myself and they're just boomeranging back at me. Right. It's my fault. Mm-hmm. So I always tell leaders that, you know, typically do you have a bottleneck in your organization? The answer is 99 out of a hundred times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and we talk about, so, so the bottleneck is like at any good bottle of wine or vodka is the bottleneck is at the top. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped talking. And I'll let them kind of reflect on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them some stories about decisions I made. I recently made a decision. Um, our, our, in, our recruiting business is being disrupted by technology. Mm-hmm. And how it's being disrupted by technology is people do not have to pick up the telephone anymore. Right. And they don't want to. And they don't want to. And they can screen it. They can parse it. They can push you aside. And they don't have to. So now we use a brand new technology where we don't have to talk to anybody if they don't want to talk to us, but we can engage them in full conversations mm-hmm. through some technologies. And we have gone from having just a, a, real, a real trickle of candidates to we've got 40 rock star candidates right now. We're trying to get new jobs in 2019 that we didn't have mm-hmm. six weeks ago. Wow. Off of the use of technology. Mm-hmm. So I could have been the leader who said, you know, back in the day when I was starting off, this I was the way we used to do it. So I'd park my dinosaur at the front of the office. I'd walk in and grab my phone that was attached to the wall, and I'd open up the yellow pages in the phone book, and I'd start calling companies. Mm-hmm. And then I'd run into one of those newspaper ads, and they would reply. And then I'd bring them in for a – no, I don't have to do any of that anymore. 
And so that's not the way it's, it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And it, I think the story, and this is the one that I often tell when I'm on stage, I just, I just told the story in, in Monterey, Mexico, to a, a group of 400 entrepreneurs who were, they were like, how do you make things 5,000 six times? I was like, well, let's step back for a minute. So in 2006, uh, you know, I've been in business for nine years. I, started, I was in my mid-30s. Thought I, had, thought I had it all figured out. I was the guy in your example, like, oh, I'm the CEO. I've got all this knocked out. I'm, I'm the smartest person in the entire room as I sit here by myself. And figured out that I wasn't the smartest person in the room. And here's why, because the data told me I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was $600,000 in debt that I personally guaranteed. I was 60 days away from running out of cash. So I was, gonna, I was running out of I couldn't pay anybody. I wasn't going to be able to make my bills. I was going to lose my house. And I walked in and I fired my entire company and I started mm-hmm. over because I made some really bad decisions. I made some really short-sighted decisions. I didn't want to deal with conflict. I didn't want to deal with the uncomfortable. I didn't want to look in the mirror. I'd rather just hide. If I just hide, I just put my head in the sand and it'll all go away. The reality is it didn't. Mm-hmm. We made a lot of changes, made a lot of iterations. We're willing to feel forward into the success portion of of business, then we got on that, that great run to be on the Inc. 5,000 six times. So my, my point of that for the, the entrepreneurs is I, when they work with me and I'm coaching them, I'm, I've been in the weeds with them. I'm getting in the weeds with them again. I'm not prescriptive, not ever having walked down those paths before. So the, 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 the ability, I think, for me to come out and be authentic with them really helps them mm-hmm. be put at ease and feel more comfortable making some difficult choices and decisions in their businesses. Right. Well, and you know, I, I love that you put yourself on their level. I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile not, right now, and you went to MIT. Holy schmoly, you went to MIT. And so, you know, right there, a lot of people are like, you know, oh my gosh, you went to MIT, you went to Harvard, you went to Yale, you went to, you know, one of those big schools. And they're thinking, how can they be, you know, how do they even understand us? So the fact that you you have these examples of things that didn't go the way you wanted them to, then they go, oh, okay. You, know, you, you do understand. You do know. Well, it's, you know, the interesting thing about the MIT piece of my, of my education has been really fascinating. So I graduated from a local university here in Michigan. I'm a proud alumni of Eastern Michigan University. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, back in the day, there really weren't classes in entrepreneurship. So, right. you know, yeah, they didn't know what entrepreneur. What the heck? Yeah, we did. We, you know, it's like it was kind of, kind of like for the for the people who either couldn't get employed, so they became consultants in quotes, mm-hmm, right. or they became entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. For me, I just had this overriding desire to start my own company. Mm-hmm. I, just, I was I was just just crazy about it. So then I joined a group called EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. And through EO, I connected with Vern Harnish, author of the Rockefeller Habits and founder mm-hmm. of EO. And Vern was doing a program at MIT. So he invited 80 of us from around the globe through it, apply and, and, and go through an interview process. It was a vetting process. And, and that's how I got into MIT. So I don't want your, your listeners to think that I'm a, a, a full-fledged MIT graduate. It's been through more of like a continuing ed program affiliated. It's, it's, our, it's still MIT. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, and so now, the, the, unlike most university programs, I've been now doing this for 18 years. Mm-hmm. So I really find an immense amount of value hanging out with, with 80, 80 entrepreneurs every year. It's like summer camp. And we, 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 we can be real with each other and we, we meet amazing speakers and, mm-hmm. and connect with other people and the relationships go very wide and very deep so that, you know, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And we, the 80 of us don't ever have to feel alone. Right. <clears throat> you know, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that's one of the things that entrepreneurs and small business owners have probably one of the biggest problems with is the the isolationism the nobody's going through it like I am I don't have anybody to talk to you know all sure. of those various mm-hmm. things most of us you know many of us are in our spare bedroom hello that's me um, you know or even if we have a small business where we actually have a, a physical office it, it's very difficult to be an entrepreneur so you know why is it so important to network with and connect with other entrepreneurs well I think it, it, again it. You're with peers or you're with people who can see through your, 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 your mask, can see through your facade that you feel a connection with because mm-hmm. of the risks you take. It's very difficult, I think, for an entrepreneur to, to stand in the backyard and talk to his neighbor who works 
you know, uh, you know, we usually try your neighbor who works at the big three auto right. and you're trying to explain how you may not make payroll this week. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he, they can't like, what, what you, you've got to make payroll. You, right. you, you yes. pay. what, what's, what's wrong with you? What, mm-hmm. what kind of jerk are you? Yeah, those are difficult conversations. Or you have the, the flip side of, you know, you're, you're trying to share it with your spouse mm-hmm. and, and you're talking with your significant other and all they're hearing are, it's bad. The alarms are going off in my head. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Right, right. We got a real trouble. You mean here. I'm going to have to go get a job? <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's a t- so it's hard to go to, to friends and neighbors. It's hard to go I- to family, and so the the value of having that network of entrepreneurs, they're there because they've been on down a lot of those paths. And like with the EO groups and the other groups that I'm part of, we speak from gestalt, mm-hmm. not from advice. So we say, well, well, Deb, you know, I hear what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from, and I pair, I mirror it back to you. You know, when I was in your spot, here is what I did mm-hmm. versus you should do this. Right. Because just because it worked for me doesn't mean, isn't mean it's going to work for you. So mm-hmm. I really shouldn't tell you at all what to do. However, if I share with you, here's where I was. I, can, I have a, a strong relation to where you currently are. Mm-hmm. One, you don't feel alone. Two, you feel like there's some hope because this person's gotten out of that bad spot. And three, they may have that idea that, okay, well, huh, if I take that idea and I tweak it a little bit, that's really what I need. Mm-hmm. So that's the true value is, is you don't have to feel alone. It's like, I think there's a lot of value in an EO environment, no different than someone who, who goes to a 12-step meeting. Right. You're sitting with people who've walked a similar path. They, they, they've struggled, maybe some of the same struggles you've had. Mm-hmm. Now you're sitting with a peer and you're able to, to share with them where you are. And they, again, help with that isolation. Right. You know, and uh, so many people will say, oh, you know, I, I don't want to share that. It, you know, I, I don't want, you know, my competitor might find out all these various oh, well, things. I used to just say, I'm just going to look stupid. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't want to admit that I did that. Right. The, but the reality is the only way to learn is to lean into the uncomfortable. The mm-hmm. only way to learn, whether it's uh, in business, in sports, in, mm-hmm. in, in education, in life, whatever, is to lean into those uncomfortable moments because that's the only place where you can really grow through them. If you avoid, if you pretend it's not occurring, if you, if you do the head in the sand program, all the world around you is still happening with you while your head's in the sand. Mm-hmm. So by, by engaging with it and recognizing that failure, you know, as our society has taught us, it is not permanent. That you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Dr. Daniel Friedland. Uh, he's one of one of he's actually one of my favorite coaches. I've used Danny now for almost five years, and he has a real simple phrase that you know, failure doesn't exist because mm-hmm. every time I quote unquote failure, it's really nothing more than another step along my pathway to success. Right. So it takes all the pressure off. Well, and in virtually all instances, you know, let, let, let's just say you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time. If somebody isn't physically hurt or killed, then then it's okay. You you know, you know, and 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 seriously, you know, for the most part, the mistakes that we make aren't causing somebody bodily injury. So, you know, that means we can recover from them, and most importantly, we can learn from them. Yeah, we might repeat them. Okay, that's 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 not wise, but hopefully, we really should learn from those those. And you know, we we shouldn't call them mistakes. You know, it's it really it's just another step. It is another step. And I, th- I think the biggest challenge, with, especially with the, the entrepreneurs that I work with, they, they get wrapped up in pride and ego. Mm-hmm. They get wrapped up in, I call it, shooting all over themselves. Right. And I should this, I should that, I should have known. And, and the, it, it doesn't serve the greater good. Right. It, do, it doesn't serve the, the mindset. So by being able to, to, to pivot off of those things, recognize that, you know, and tech guys seem to do this better than most companies. Like they, they just they, they, they encourage quick rapid failure. They encourage mm-hmm. quick and rapid mistakes right. so they can get to the, the overall best end goal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, you made that mistake. Now how are we gonna learn from it? Ooh, hey, this works. You know, yeah. and, and and many times, I mean, you look at things through history that somebody thought this is horrible. And then they looked at it and they're, oh, wait a minute, we can repackage this. We can redo this. Like, you know, all those various things is like, okay, you know, reframe it and go from there. Exactly. You know, it's, it's so, so important to, to, to realize that pain is, the, the pain and discomfort of that is going to only be temporary. Mm-hmm. And, and I know a lot of, I know a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from depression. A lot right. of entrepreneurs suffer from 
all those negative thoughts and those sleepless nights and mm-hmm. you know, trying to, you know, trying to figure out what they should do. So many entrepreneurs I've worked with, you know, start their first company trying to, to slay the dragon right. whether, or slay the demon, mm-hmm. whether the demons within inside of themselves or whether it's, you know, I want to prove to my, you know, to the, my high school coach, I was great. So I'm going to do this or I want to prove to my parents I was greater. You know, people go through challenges of like, well, you know, I want to prove to my, my deceased family member that I was awesome. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's really, and they do it all through ways that typically don't, one, satisfy that, that inner demon. Mm-hmm. Two, or it, it's short-lived. Three, it, it, it's not a sustainable run record to go off of. And, and I want, you know, especially anybody listening today is to recognize that, you know, we're, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an employee, whether you're, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or not, we all struggle at times with figuring out who we are. Right. We all have, you know, I, I use the Jahari window exercise quite a bit. There's the part I know about me and the part you know about me. Mm-hmm. And then there's the part about me that only you know and that I don't know. And mm-hmm. it goes from there. Because we all have blind spots. We all right. have areas of growth and opportunity. And I think whether we're, again, dealing with entrepreneurs or even better yet, as parents dealing with children, mm-hmm. to let them know that, that there are, are always... Learning, learning can be a lifelong journey if you want it to be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, you don't have to be stuck where you are today. Right. You know, and, and I love that philosophy. Um, you know, I, and I think many parents, and I'm, I'm not a parent, you know, and, and it's funny because I've had people who have said, well, then you can't say anything because you're never a parent. But, you know, I, I tell people that I was a person and, and I was parented. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. um, but, you know, when we see things, this just came out last week that, you know, many parents are, you know, there was a, a, that people were children, you know, and, and this was like young children, like uh, uh, preteens were spending seven hours a day behind a screen, as in a screen like an iPad, an iPhone, smartphone. And I'm thinking seven hours, excuse me. <laughs> you know? And and that was detrimental. And I'm thinking, no, seven minutes for somebody that age is detrimental. Um, but, you know, and now some of it is good. I mean, and that was one of the things that the study was talking about was the fact that we are using those tools to learn to take sure. classes, you know, to, to do, you know, all sorts of things. But, you know, I, I'm also, you know, watching my iPad, uh, you know, I, that's how I watch TV, sure. and, you know, some other things like that. So it's, it's got to be a combination. Um, and fortunately for me, you know, I, I mentioned I was parented. I, my two parents were the people who said, read. You absolutely have to read. Um, some of my absolute fondest memories are of my father reading to me. Um, you know, I still remember the books and, you know, this was <clears throat> many, many years ago. Sure, um, sure. But, you know, it, that lifelong learning, as you mentioned, really is something that, that we have to do, especially when we're thinking about, is technology going to take my job? What is my next job? Oh, I'm going to start my own company. I better figure out how to, to do this or that. So we have to be lifelong learners. It, it's, I think it's essential. I think it's really what separates, especially the successful entrepreneurs from the the one hit wonders, mm-hmm. and you know you, you see great great entrepreneurs, and I would say Mark, I would put Mark Cuban in the great entrepreneurial mm-hmm. category. Right, he reads three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Gates, he, what does he read? A book a week? I mean, th- these are people who these are people who don't read for the money. They they right. they're they're going to be good for generations. Mm-hmm. I have pretty good confidence that the, the Gates Foundation isn't going to close anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And they are they're educating themselves right. when they don't have to because they need to know. And I love I love Cuban's quote. It's like you know, if I read if I get one idea from the entire book, it was totally worth my time. Mm-hmm. Versus, well, I'm looking for that magic bullet. I'm looking for what should I be doing. I'm looking for how do I d- read to absorb, read to understand, read to learn, listen to podcasts like yours today. Do other things that you can always keep yourself educated. I mean, studies mm-hmm. show that so many people once they graduate from high school just never pick up another book again. Right. I don't. Well, I don't understand that. That's that and it can be fiction too. I mean, fiction's okay oh, yeah. because it's making your mind work. Exactly, and you know, it, kids nowadays have, have the true luxury and blessing of having the YouTubes and the Googles to go to. Mm-hmm. They don't have to necessarily suffer the way maybe our generation had to suffer in regards to acquiring knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. It doesn't free them up of the responsibility uh, of learning some critical thinking, other than just ask Siri. Right. 
Well, and it's funny because, you know, before the program, we were, were kind of chatting about some former guests. And one of my guests um, is somebody that I have, have also used professionally. She's a hypnotherapist. And one of the things that she and I talked about was we take the easy way. You know, we, we do the GPS as opposed to thinking, okay, I need to go here. I need to go here. Um, I've had uh, several guests on who have talked about the importance of lists, you know, writing things down, doing those various things, making our minds work as opposed to ask Siri, you know, as, as you just said. It's, it's crazy how we as people get so wrapped up in the easiest way out of things because I think that's it's easy for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're, you know, it, it's it, we you know we have to give directions a lot as recruiters on how to get to right. a job. Mm-hmm. Now we just we cut and paste it, and send them a link, and boom, people can find it so much mm-hmm. easier. But boy, do they lose their mind when maybe the map quest or, or whatever they're using turns them right when they should be turning left, mm-hmm. and then they don't recognize that okay, the the even numbered addresses are on the right hand right. side of three, the odd are on the left, mm-hmm. and they're going up. But I'm, I should be at you know address number three. And I'm at address number right. you know, 22. Mm-hmm. Hmm, which way should I go? Yeah, it, we stopped it's shut processing down mode. that. Mm-hmm. It's shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and things that we did have to, to know, you know, we don't anymore, um, you know, and, and which is good and bad. I mean, it's freed us up to do other things, but some of the basics, you know, it's like, really, you, you don't know how to do that? Um, you know, it was funny when, when you were talking about the, the good old days. I said something to somebody last week about yellow pages, and they, honest to God, had no idea what I was talking about. Oh, you know, it's, and, it's and it's like, okay, they're doorstops now. <laughs> right. It's the the world has changed so much. It's you know you're talking about people now watch most of their, their movies on tablets or mm-hmm. on on their 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 individual portable devices with headsets. Mm-hmm. I still really get a real rush out of going to see a really good film with a group of other people. Right in a, in a theater mm-hmm. uh, for that for that experience, whether it's um, you know a high end action movie. Or my significant other just went and saw the new Star Wars Born movie, mm-hmm. and you can feel the energy in the room change through the course of the storytelling. Right. And you get yeah. good popcorn. Uh, maybe get, good's not the right word, but but you but you get a good experience, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and if you're if you're so wrapped up in you know the individual control in the in the individual way of doing things in in the technology technological aspects of things. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss things like nature. You're going to right. miss things like the, the community experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy. Is you, is you, you know, I, I've got a friend of mine. I'm seeing him tomorrow, and he's a musician, and he's toured around the country. And he, he goes, every time I put out a record, I'm really excited about it, but I know I'm not going to make any money because mm-hmm. the only way as a musician anymore, as a touring musician, I make money right. is by doing shows. Mm-hmm. So, so the individual, you know, the the art of the 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 recording. It, it, is almost like a lost leader to put out to marketplace because of all the free opportunities to get it. So mm-hmm. now he's got to go on stage and perform a lot of tour a lot more to, mm-hmm. to make up the money that he used to make during selling records. Right. So point of it is, is it's still that community experience versus that individual, you know, the community of listening to it as, as a, a fan of the band with other fans of the band mm-hmm. versus just the individual experience on your iPod can be really powerful still in 2019. Right. Well, and tactile things, you know, we, we talk about books. I read a lot of books uh, the, uh, online, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, sometimes I listen to them, but for the most part, you know, it's a PDF, it's an ebook for business. My books that I read for fun, I like a book book, a real mm-hmm. book that I hold in my hands. And there's something about that tactile thing about reading the book and, and all of those various things. And, um, you know, or the, the other thing that I've gotten into in the, the last year or so <coughs> cooking, which everybody who knows me just thinks is absolutely hilarious. But I love cooking and doing that and cutting up the food and, and all of those various things. And, you know, and, and I was talking to somebody who they, they ordered out everything. And I thought, oh, well, aside from, you know, aside from anything else that, oh my gosh, that must be expensive. They just, they really didn't know how to cook. And they were like, you can you can cook that, and I said, yeah, you know, you cut up the onions and you do this and you, and and again, it's that tactile thing. It's funny because I just posted on on social media yesterday that I basically made my my first breakfast in several years because I'm so used to eating out. I'm traveling mm-hmm. all the time, and it was really fun to do that. Right. Um, 
<clears throat> so I, I do get the tactical part of it. And, you know, I've got, you know, my significant other has a nine-year-old. So I have a mm-hmm. nine-year-old in my life for the first time in nearly 20 years. My oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so that's a whole different thing. And, you know, she certainly loves her technology, but she actually mm-hmm. reads books, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but her favorite thing to do is this thing called making slime. And it's a YouTube video right. about how to make slime. And I said, well, what do you love about making the slime so much? She goes, I love the way it feels. Mm-hmm. And I put different things in it to make it feel different. She can keep her inner self entertained for three or four hours on a weekend by just making and remaking these different forms of slime. And she just loves that, 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 that tactile feel upon her mm-hmm. fingertips and, and the crunching and the squishing. And so I think as, as people, we still love those kind of things so much that no matter what, technology is not going to be able to replace that for us. Right. We kind of went down a rabbit hole here. This has been a very interesting. Bit, a little bit. <laughs> um, let's let's go back to a little bit of business stuff. Um, you talk about you have the four pillars of successful business coaching. What are those, and why? Well, the the four pillars really are cash, strategy, people, and execution. They're like four legs of a table, and the tabletop is the mindset. Mm-hmm. And all the challenges I've ever worked with with companies all come in those four categories. Uh, and it gets very, very challenging if the mindset isn't correct. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I work, I'm a big believer, for example, that margin trumps revenue, mm-hmm. unless, you're, unless you're Amazon. I mean, unless you've, got, unless you've got so much cash and you can convince investors to keep pouring it on you like gasoline mm-hmm. to really accelerate your growth, it's going to be tough. Right. Margin's key. And, you know, I talk with, you know, I get some construction clients who will say, well, we're just going to take a job to, to keep our guys busy. No, no, no. You got to take a job to make money. Mm-hmm. Because nobody, nobody can afford to work for a poor boss. Right. Nobody can afford to work for a company that's eking by. Mm-hmm. And, and so th- we'll discuss the cash. We'll deal with the people side of things. And we see this all the time. Wow, Bob is great the three of the five days of the week he shows up. But those other two days, yeah, he's not so good because he's not here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and working with why isn't he here and how do we move that around? If, he's not, if it's not a salvageable situation, you know, it, what message are you sending to the rest of the team? Do they do other people think Bob's getting away with something? How right. do you do that? But all again, again, comes down to the mindset of like, well, one mindset is well, having Bob there, you know, sometimes sometimes is better than no times. Versus the other mindset is like, listen, we're, we're a team. Everybody right. here works five days a week. You may be the best guy th- these three days, but we don't need you. Mm-hmm. So it, it's working through those pieces. Right. When it comes around around a strategy, you know, are you willing to try something for you know a, a quarter? Are you willing to try it for? Say 60 days, and if it's not working, are you willing to scrap it? Are you willing to pivot off of that? Are you willing to track and see where you're going as you try to execute that strategy? And if, if the marketplace doesn't want what you're trying to push, how can you pivot off of what you learned and then give the marketplace what it does want? Are you comfortable getting that kind of – all those different things. But again, it goes back to can that human being, can that leader hear it? Because if you think, you know, I, I've always wanted to open an Italian restaurant in, in, in Venice, Italy, well – you know, I'm not really sure there's a need for that right now. <laughs> so maybe looking at doing something different. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, you know, so many entrepreneurs are so in love with their idea because right. they love their idea, but they mm-hmm. don't know if the marketplace needs their idea. Right. That's and then, a painful thing. Right. And, and then they fail. <laughs> you right. know, and, and so what they need to do is, is, again, look at why it failed, you mm-hmm. know, location, you know, like you said, maybe it was, you know, not the right thing at the right time, all of those various things, because we all have hopefully more than the one big idea, you know, and, and so we can go forward and, and, you know, and okay, let's learn from this one. Now what? And that's exactly how it does go. If, if you've tried something and it has eight pieces to it and five of them were rocking, but those other three just sank the ship, mm-hmm. what can you do with those other five things you learned? If you know, going right. back to, you know, our business, we, at one point, tried to you know compete against Kelly Services. They're the big 800-pound gorilla in the staffing industry. Their they're, they're key main office is a block from my office. Ooh. But we're going to take them down. Well, they can just basically outspend me, give loss leaders, and they can crush me. They, I, I'm not even sure I'm a bug in their shoe. That's all, you know, it's just ridiculous. It's a bad idea. And versus, all right, well, where is the marketplace at? Where are our clients telling us they can't find the right people? And how do we find those right people? And then how do we... Focus on those, those great candidates versus just focusing on the customer. And how do we make that match? How do we become more like a matchmaking service, like an eHarmony or a match.com and put the two of them together? Because we need that client and that candidate to fall in love. If they fall in love, we're going to get paid. But if they just have a, a how-do-you-do handshake date, yeah, we're not going to get very far. We've got to work through that. So staging the candidate, staging the client, working through that part of it versus 
well, we can just be a temp company. I can just throw a bunch of bodies at you and hopefully somebody sticks. And that's how it used to be 20 years ago. Somehow I got muted. <laughs> when you make that good match. I, I thought it was so powerful. Yes. It was like, oh my gosh. Just, she's so, yes, I was just she, overwhelmed. She's basking in the genius that she's listening to. Poor lady. I hope she's going to be okay. Um, but when you make that good match, you made everybody happy, you know, and, and, you know, as you said, the employer is who pays, but when the employee is happy and the employer, then they tell people, you know, and right. they're like, oh my gosh, you have got to go to this company because they're going to find a great job for you. Um, they're going to find a great employee for you, you know, all of those things. And because for you, it really is word of mouth. You know, when, when you have made that good match and either the, you know, that the employee or the employer starts telling other people, that's where, where it's going to happen, where the, the, the magic sauce is. And I think that's what so many people forget is no matter what their, their business, we can just do one and one and one and one and one and one and, and keep doing that as opposed to, you know, what, what can we do to, to really build on these successes? Well, I think the building on the successes is something that people get so wrapped up in the here and now. And when you build on the successes, that's really more of a, a, a strategic forecasting thought process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, especially startup entrepreneurs or, 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 you know, early generation, I'd say about five years and under are so concerned about, mm -hmm. you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul to make payroll, uh, you know, right. making sure you're getting enough business in the door. They, they can't, they got to take every client. They can't fire clients. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're so, their, their, their sense of urgency is often so incredibly high, they don't, they don't feel they have a luxury to identify who their ideal client is. Mm -hmm. Who should they be working for? Right. And, and, and who should they be servicing? And what is, you know, what is their ideal opportunity? What the, what's the proper margin for what they do? Do they know what their competitors do? I've got a client I'm working with right now. He's really identified for his space. He's in a very, very unique niche mm -hmm. that he is the market leader. Hmm. And so, so why is he charging more than, why isn't he charging a little bit more than everybody else? Mm -hmm. Because he's, he, he's inventing processes. He's sitting on, on key panels discussing their industry. He's, he's crushing it when it comes to year over year revenue growth. And he, he's come up with ways to, to keep his cost structure in line, to improve his margins. So he's building a good business for himself and his mm -hmm. family. So why not charge a little bit more? Because he's got, he's got clients lining up. Right. It's not going to hurt the business versus he's such a sweet, nice guy that he wants mm -hmm. to say yes to everybody. I'm like pushing back. Right. Like, well, say yes to the right people. Mm -hmm. Who are the right people that you want to be working with versus being trying to be all things to all people? Because when we identify it, we figure out who are your five biggest pain in the butt clients. They all have common themes. Mm -hmm. they're, they're always cash strapped. They can't keep their appointments. They always want a discount and they always want to pay late. Well, right. okay, yeah, that's probably not your ideal client. Mm -hmm. so, so we designed questions for him in, in his, in his uh, intake process to identify, you know, are you, do you, have you budgeted, you know, X thousands of dollars for this program? And if you haven't, and if you have, are you, willing, are you able to, you know, pay it in one lump sum? Mm -hmm. If you can't pay it in one lump sum, are you willing to go on auto pay? So it really whittles it down because cash was the biggest challenge for his clients to figure out that he's going to spend his time working and closing businesses that can actually pay him. Right. Well, and entrepreneurs, especially, you know, the, the startups are in the quantity versus quality type of, of thing. You know, the more I sell, it'll be okay. But it's like, nah, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that we talk about on my program a lot is figure it out at the start who you're marketing to. You'll find that niche. And maybe you're going to sell less, but if you can sell it for more, Right. And that's okay. As opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm going to try and be all things to all people. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's so imperative for the entrepreneur to remember that they have to pay themselves. Mm -hmm. they, they are self-employed like right. it or not. Mm -hmm. And they've got to have enough margin there to do that. And if, if you can't, you can't give it away. Mm -hmm. You've got, you've got to charge a fair and reasonable rate for it. Right. And you don't have the luxury of lost leaders. So you've got to have that opening. And I'm sure you guys do this with, with your PR firm where you've got to have that positioning statement that identifies quickly for the buyer that you're someone they should take seriously, that you, you've got the ability to, to deliver. And because you've got that ability to deliver and because you can get them in front of the right audiences, then you're going to charge a little bit more than the, the other firm who's going to 
do a wing in a prayer marketing program. Right. Well, and it's okay to weed people out, you know, okay. whether it's, you know, personal, you know, I, um, <clears throat> I work with people a lot on their social media and I tell them, you know, sometimes that might not be what you want to be posting, you know, uh, politics, good example. You know, somebody might be posting a lot about politics, good or bad. I mean, you know, sure. and, and I see, you know, that might not, especially if they're looking for a job, you know, you, that might not be what you want to be posting about, but then they say, but I don't want to work for somebody who's not going to like that. Okay. You know, then, then that was okay to, to pre-qualify that, um, you know, and, and so it's, it's okay to kind of go through those things, but it, it's, it's hard because we are thinking, oh my gosh, we have bills to pay. We have commitments that we have to make, you know, we, we've got the, you know, we're, we're going to should ourselves as you mentioned. And so it's, you know, it is so important to work with somebody, you know, because we mentioned it, you know, an entrepreneur, small business, they're this little entity unto themselves. And so when you can work with other people and, you know, get that, you know, you, you said it, sometimes other people know things about us that we don't recognize ourselves. So that's where it's great to work with somebody like you. So tell us a little bit more about the programs and services that you can provide. Well, I think the thing that, that I'm really able to do is to talk about things because I've walked the path. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, when customers are, are vetting me for the coaching service, and, you know, I often say, well, you know, as you're looking at what I offer, and I'm certainly going to be far, I'm not going to be the cheapest option mm-hmm. you have. But here's what I will give you is I, I've been in the weeds with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I offer them basically a, a program that is able to get them from point A to point B. I help them figure out what success looks like for them. Mm-hmm. They, they set the course. They're the captain of the ship. I'm nothing more than the, 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 the first mate to help them around the way. Mm-hmm. So we, we set the course for where they want to go. I, we, we talk about the personal experiences uh, uh, that I went through, talk about the experiences of some of my other clients, so they know that this is, this is something I'm fully vested in. Mm-hmm. A lot of coaches that I know are, are very good at what they do, but they don't want to stay you know, at a 30,000-foot view. Right. I, I want, I'm good with getting in the weeds with them. I, if you're going to get dirty, I'm going to get dirty with you. And we'll mm-hmm. walk that path because I don't, I don't believe that an, I believe in an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. Mm-hmm. That's what you're paying me for. So, you know, what I do is I do two calls a month. I, I, I do quarterly planning sessions like most coaches do. But I also say, you know, I'm basically I'm available to you 24-7, 365. If you have mm-hmm. an issue that you think that you need my help on, I will make myself available to you within six hours to 12 hours of when you reach out. To me. Mm-hmm. And there's no additional charge for that because I want them to know that I'm going to be in those weeds with them because I find right. that, that if I can address a problem that someone's, you know, we do a quarterly planning session the first week of January, mm-hmm. they run into a massive problem the first week of February. We're not supposed to meet until April 3rd. Well, I, I just don't want to call and bother you. Right. I get that a lot. I, I, well, right. And then maybe it, it's not even fixable by that point. Right. Or it, it was, you know, it's, it's now, it's, it's gone from important to important and urgent. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. now what are we going to do? And it's compared to like, they get, they get paralyzed by the fear of, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, they treat it almost like a, an attorney. They're paying me by the hour. They're paying me by the minute. So mm-hmm. this is, this is what we can do for you. Um, and, and so that's, I think the real differentiator is, you know, and I still use a coach. So mm-hmm. I, I'm constantly getting new information. You know, I, I'm still running a company. I'm working with several entrepreneurs as a coach. Mm-hmm. I'm able to to position things and reframe things in a way where I'm hoping that my clients don't feel that I'm letting them off the hook, but I'm not beating them up, mm-hmm. walking that fine line. Right. And I'm still like, I, I just learned some new stuff last week for my business. I called one of my clients. I'm like, hey, what do you need? I'm like, no, I, you've got to hear about this. This will totally <laughs> apply to your business. Mm-hmm. So I'm just passionate about what I do. So, and, and you know, my brother will tell you this. He's like, you know, you, you either, you're either all in or you're not in, you, you can't half do anything. So mm-hmm. that's just how I do it. But again, I know my style is not for everybody either. And so, um, I have to realize who I am versus who I'm not. And I can't appeal to all people at all times. Right. Well, and we didn't even talk about this, that you call yourself the chief rule breaker. <laughs> and I love that. Well, I, I do think there's real value in breaking up the status quo mm-hmm. and challenging the rules and, Looking at is your is your industry being disrupted or better yet can you be the disruptor in your industry? Mm-hmm. What 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 do you see are the, the the guardrails along your highway to success and how can mm-hmm. we push through those? We may be only able to 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 to, to make them elastic and not break through them, but we're going to try really hard mm-hmm. 
but again, going back to where the conversation originally started is you know, for me, the, the breaking of the rules really ties to, 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 to shedding the, the, the false doom loop of a conversation most entrepreneurs have inside right. of their head right. and, and to break that down and to recognize and to give them that opportunity of, of a, different oper- a different world and, and set that vision forward of what they can potentially have. Because if, if, they're able, if they're able to invest in themselves through my coaching program, they're going to get a, you know, four to six times return on their investment or I haven't done my job. Mm-hmm. Well, oh my gosh, Todd, we're, we're at the top of the hour. We still have lots of stuff to, to chat about. So we'll just have you on again. We would love to do that. Perfect. But in the meantime, how do people find you and connect with you online? Sure. Well, you know, Dad, the best place people can find me is at our website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. And if anybody mentions that they heard me on Deb's program today, I'm happy to give you a half hour of my time for free. And we can talk about your business. We can talk about your mindset. We can, we can talk about anything that, that would be relevant to, to your world. So I, I believe if you've been able to stick with us this long, hopefully you've gotten value in the conversation. And I'm happy to give you a half hour of my time. And I really do that for all the people through the course of my 23 years of business who've done things for me, mm-hmm. who've given me their time, their insight, their wisdom, their struggle stories. Right. So this is my opportunity to essentially pay those folks in my history back by paying it forward with someone in your audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get back when we give. And I think that's one of the things that so many people sometimes forget about because they think, wait a minute, I can't do that. But we do. What we give comes back to us. Exactly. And if, you know, we've got to, I think, again, as, as an entrepreneurial community, we've got to be supportive of each other. It's not always all about the competition. There's plenty of business for everybody. So let, let's, let's help each other out a little bit more than we currently are doing right now. Right. You know, normally I ask for your final words, but those were great final words. Perfect. (laughs) So I am Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely wonderful time talking with Todd Palmer. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.